Unspoiled Network podcast. This is Spoil Me, covering Hell Bent, chapters 38 through 43. In these chapters, we finally find out what the significance of the white rabbit is. And I will tell you what, kiddos, there's been a lot of tragedy in these stories, but this one hit me the hardest. Welcome to Spoil Me. Welcome to the show, everyone. I am Natasha. Thank you very much to Joanna for commissioning this episode. This was so upsetting, <laughs> this section, that I reread all of the chapters again and I didn't reread this part. And that's the only part that I have ever skipped on a reread. I have come close to skipping certain parts. Uh, I think that I have like thought about it. And in the end, it was always so like gripping and interesting that I wound up taking it back and not actually going through with it. This part, I read the first time in the middle of last week and when by the time I was rereading today, I had kind of like, I think made myself forget about it. So by the time I got to it, I uh, sort of panicked and I, I, I st suddenly remembered it all like flooded back. Oh my God. Oh my God. This is the part. This is what's coming. And I very quickly bounced up out of there and stopped and, and, fast forwarded past it you guys and look I'm gonna back up and talk about everything else for sure but I just have to give my impression of this first and I think that th this is hitting extra hard because of my circumstances lately with the puppies that I adopted and everything but oh my god that was so brutal and I was so utterly unprepared for the, that brutality. I, I just, you know, so anyway, all right, let's get this rolling. So chapter 38, we are going to Ilmestone and we are meeting up with everybody, except we're not, are we? Because Trip is missing. And, um, I have grown to really like Trip and I am pretty sure I I want so badly to believe that this is a fake out and that Trip isn't actually dead. But I can't help but have some suspicion about how much Lee Bardugo made me care about him and feel like she did it on purpose in order to get me even more upset when it turns out that he is indeed dead. And I've got to say, I feel like because he is the one 
that seemed to believe in his demon the most out of everybody's. It, it would make sense to me. And, and when I say believe in, I don't mean like everybody believes that their demon is genuinely there and real. But I mean that he is the one who believed that his demon was actually the person that it was imitating. Everyone else is very conscious of the fact that the demon is taking on the appearance of someone they feel guilty about because they killed them or they were associated with the killing in Alex's case. And everybody else understands that this is all like a giant mind game. And he is the only one that has seemed to be like, no, that is Spencer genuinely 100% that Spencer. So I guess if one of our friends of this murder crew were to wind up falling prey, it would be him. But I am so desperately hoping that that isn't what's going on here. I don't think I'm going to get what I want. I just want it so badly to be a misdirect. And I feel like the fact that Alex is absolutely convinced that he is dead I want to believe that's a misdirect also. And maybe that's a foolish thing. But I am genuinely taken aback at how upset the idea of trip dying makes me. Because if you had said that I was going to really care about this kid being bumped off when we first met him and the position that he held in all of this, I really don't know that I would have believed you. But, you know, now I'm think I'm picturing like... Jason from the good place and he has just kind of won a place in my heart and I just can't help it. Um, so that's part of what's going on. And also we have this thing where Darlington hadn't seen them, these demons yet. And there's this whole thing. Alex's grandmother is the one that shows up here. The demon's imitating her. Um, Alex knew this was not her grandmother, but her heart twisted anyway. Estrella Stern had been afraid of nothing, determined to protect her strange granddaughter from her flighty daughter, to shelter her with prayers and lullabies and good food. But then she died, and Alex had been left with nothing but her mother's dollar store magic, her crystals, her way smoothies, her boyfriend, the acupuncturist, her boyfriend, the capoeirista, her boyfriend, the singer-songwriter. Who is feeding you, Miha? Estrella asked, her eyes warm, her arms open. And Alex starts to walk toward her. So I actually kind of appreciated this because you guys know that I was talking last time about how if I saw one of these creatures had taken on the appearance of someone who meant a lot to me, I would find it so offensive that I don't think that it would affect me the way that it seemed to have affected Turner. And now seeing the way that Alex responds to this demon taking on the form of her grandmother, I've got to admit it's kind of convinced me that maybe I would be really sensitive to this. Like just when I stopped to really consider what it would be like to see somebody who is so good at imitating that they convince you they are that person. 
I mean, even just seeing a photo of somebody that you really miss and care about can be difficult. And seeing them there apparently in the flesh, I don't know, maybe that is like more than I would be prepared for. I don't know. It's just the kind of thing that I can't imagine. You know, it's really hard to like put myself in that place. But um, anyway, so this is when Darlington throws himself between Alex and the demon. And he is going after it with his horns and ramming it into the ground. And it starts screaming. And they're like on a street with other buildings. So she starts to get very anxious about the fact that they're going to attract so much attention. And that he doesn't seem concerned about that aspect of things at all. And she reaches out to him and says, Darlington, enough. And a flame that is like gathered around her hands reaches out like a collar with one end in her hand like a leash and she is able to yank him backward and she is really freaked out by this and feels really bad because she like tosses him and as somebody who has been walking dogs who don't want to come to heel and Having, I, I'm trying to not yank because I know that can hurt them, but there have been a couple times where they have flown to the end of the leash so suddenly that they wind up doing it to themselves. I understand how startling it can be, especially if you don't intend to do it, and especially if it's made of fucking fire. This is not a normal leash, and this is not a dog. This is fucking Darlington. So it's a really, like, startling moment for both of them because... Despite the fact that Darlington seems to be operating with slightly more information than she is based on the conversation they have later about who he's committed to, I don't think he realized that it was like this. You know, I don't think that he understood the power she would have over him in a very literal sense. So this this whole thing is uh, something that they're trying to navigate together and the demon he had managed to like get its body to break up and turn into maggots but once again it's not dead it's just temporarily out of commission until it builds a new one and i guess it can come back um so i do really like turner showing up and saying how was spain hotter than expected Anyone want to explain how he got here and why Alex just caught fire? And I had forgotten Dawes hasn't even seen Darlington yet. So when she sees him here, she's bugging out a little bit and sort of wonders once again if it's a trick. Which, good girl. Like, good girl. I just feel like that's a very reasonable thing and it didn't occur to me. That, that that could even be like possible at this point, which is absurd of me. But I am a little bit surprised that none of these demons has taken on the appearance of Darlington. And I'm wondering if there's like a sort of code in place for that or if they are only taking on the appearance of people who have died for whatever reason. I can't recall if any of them have taken on the appearance of somebody who's still alive, but just not present. It seems like 
everybody has been dead. So we'll say that, but I don't know for sure that that's, you know, a requirement. Um, but yeah, this whole moment is just really sweet because it's a surprise, you know, they've had nothing but bad luck and granted things are still quite bad, but Darlington actually being back, I don't think Pam ever really like let herself believe at this point that they were getting him back. I, I mean, or at least this round had worked and it didn't work because Alex had to go back by herself, but nevertheless, so then they are heading up the steps of Il Bestone and the house starts to shake and Alex can hear the jackals underneath the porch, the like guard jackals whimpering. And this is all because the house is trying to decide whether to let Darlington through. Y'all, I didn't even think about the fact that Darlington being part demon might make it so that he can't enter Ilbestone again. I, I can't even tell you, like, if that had been what happened, I would have been so devastated. Out of proportion devastated. I will just, like, admit it would not have been reasonable. But honestly, the whole thing with the... I, I've really grown to realize this for myself. The whole concept of, like, a safe place for characters to go to get away from all of the dangers and have like a headquarters somewhere that is warm and protected is so important to me. And anytime that gets taken away, I mean, I had this, but I tried not to like let it sink in when we find out that uh, Alex and Pam have been kicked out of Lethe and they're not supposed to go back to Ilbestone like that. It would be considered trespassing. There was a big part of me that was like low key panicking and I was just, you know, I, I don't think I even like got into it that much in the episode when I talked about that happening because that was how upset it made me to think about. And the, the idea that Pam and Alex would be kicked out is already bad enough because they are in danger and they're trying so hard to like do the right thing and do what Lethe is like supposed to be all about. But if that had happened to Darlington after the way that he was essentially sacrificed and after he is the one who trained Alex and is, he's so he's been through so much to like finally be able to come back to his body and then be locked out of one of the only places that felt like home to him. It just would have been unspeakably cruel. I wouldn't, I don't know that I would have been able to get over it or forgive Bardugo if she had done that. And I'm so relieved that it's just a momentary like, Hmm. And then the house lets him in after all, because, oh, that was a real moment of like, oh God, oh God, you know? And uh, I like Alex also having a moment here of being like, oh boy, I know exactly how he feels right now. Um, so this is when they start talking about Trip not being there. 
And uh, Darlington being like, I cannot understand how he even got involved in this. And Alex is like, look, I had to find a bunch of murderers. And I don't know if you're aware, but that's kind of hard to do. So I did what I could. And it worked as well as it could work. Um, and Mercy says that it's possible he's not here just because he's a coward and doesn't want to do this again. But I appreciate that uh, Dawes is the one who's like, you're not being fair to him. You know, he was really scared initially and he still went ahead and did all of this shit. And Mercy has her reasons for disliking him, you know, but she is being kind of hard on him. And I'm not really mad at her. I'm not like blaming her because she has been through some shit that she is very reasonable to be this suspicious of him. And a lot of her suspicions about him are kind of true. Like, you know, no offense, but privilege is what it is. So it's uh, understandable, but I just do feel like I wish she would give him a chance because I I can't help but feel as if he is, he has so much potential, you know? Um, and then they talk about who they're going to get to take his place. And Mercy is like offering. And she says something about how she hasn't murdered anybody yet, but maybe she's a late bloomer. And she, this is not the only time that this comes up. And Mercy is really a little bit too eager, in my opinion, to commit murder. Like, what's going on, girl? This is... The, she just keeps, like, saying it so blithely. And a part of me is like, look, I get that it's very easy to say when you don't know how it weighs on you. But I wish that she would, like, take into consideration the attitudes of the people around her and the way that all of them are literally being haunted by the people they've killed or not. Every time I say that, I have to put an asterisk because that's not what's happening with Alex. But you guys get what I mean. And I wish that she would, like, stop and think about that and understand that it's not a simple thing. Like, she's sort of treating it like, you know, it's like losing your virginity or something. And it's like, no, you're taking a life. And how, like, her... Well, you know, maybe I'm a late bloomer. Well, what, would you go and pick somebody out of a lineup, Mercy? Like, how would you decide who gets to live and who doesn't? What are, what would your criteria be? What exactly is going on in your head when you, like, toss that out there that casually? I don't like it. I'm I'm a little bit concerned about it. I don't know that that's going to come to anything or it's going to be a, an actual problem. But, like, I'm not going to lie. It just kept sort of drawing me up short how... She is, and she eventually does ask Alex what happened, like with the people that she killed. And Alex doesn't get real specific. She just says she killed a lot of people. And Mercy asks, "How do you live with it?" Alex, <laughs> I really appreciated this. She has a moment where she considers lying. And talking about how it weighs on her every day and she, you know, goes for runs or she does crafting or something that, like, helps her stop thinking about it and sleep at night. And in the end, she just decides that she's going to be honest. And she tells Mercy, I'm not right. 
something's wrong with me. And I don't have any problem carrying the fact that I killed those people. It just doesn't really bother me. <laughs> it just like, you know, and that winds up being brought up later. But it is a, a really interesting, like, decision. And I'm really glad to see because this feels like Alex being truly genuine with someone in a way that she has never been able to be. I don't know that Alex, I don't recall if she had been able to tell Helly about seeing the ghosts and if Helly believed her. I don't remember. But I'm going to say that probably she didn't. And the fact that she is able to like be like this with Mercy. So Mercy knows not only about what she can see, but also what she has done. This is Alex letting Mercy really see her for who she is. And I feel like this has got to be such a big step for her. Like I can't, this is, this is the kind of thing that I think a lot of us as we, when we're younger, somebody really knowing you, a lot of us don't have the kind of like checkered history that makes that all that difficult. Right. Initially. And so when that comes up in a story, it may not resonate, but I feel like as we get older, we start to really, you know, have some things go on that we're not super proud of and that we wouldn't share with the average person. And the concept of really being seen is so scary when you get to a certain point. And that is without like murder in your past. So I am just so happy for Alex that she is beginning to develop this kind of like genuine relationship where she's being vulnerable. Um, but anyway, I'm getting totally sidetracked here. So, uh, they, they decide that they're going to let Darlington take trips place, but there is a lot of back and forth on whether this is a good idea because they just don't think that Darlington is going to be able to get out again because he's not really fully human anymore and he has a tie to hell and they're going to try and keep him there. And the whole thing is just, it, it, you know, there's no other option is what they keep coming back down to. They both agree and even Darlington himself agrees this is not a good idea. But they have got literally no other idea to go with instead. So, um, they, this, uh, they have like, you know, the talk about the wolves being the demons that followed them back. I was sort of surprised by this conversation because I really thought we had figured this out. Like, I'm, I'm not trying to be like a dick or anything. But I honestly, I didn't even mention it on the show because there was a part of me that just made the assumption that we were all on the same page with that. But yeah, the wolves that like growled at them and bit them in hell are the demons that followed them out, which I was just, I don't know. I just thought, of course, we know that already, but apparently we didn't. So that's the thing that comes up. 
And uh, Dawes starts talking about why are there no warnings about the gauntlet in the Leafy Library? And Darlington says he doesn't know, but it wouldn't be the first cover up. And we wind up finding out about like a bargain that was struck, but we don't get details yet. Um, so let's see. Something had gone wrong on that first journey, something bad enough that the gauntlet had been wiped from the books and Rudolph Kitcher's diary had been hidden or destroyed. Could I go alone? Alex asked. She didn't want to say it. She didn't want to do it. But they might be down one pilgrim and the longer they waited, the worse it was going to get. And, uh, they're the, all of them are just like, yeah, that's unlikely to be doable because we have to get all of these demons to follow us in and how are like, I don't think you're going to be able to manage it by yourself. They're not going to follow just you. Um, and there's also the consideration that if there is a demon that did eat trip and trip is gone, he won't be luring the demon. So what, will happen to that one um so yeah Dawes says we're gonna have to create a tether and what they wind up creating is this uh sort of trap using sorrow and sadness that is basically like putting out a buffet um and it uses spiders and it's I am cool with spiders, and even I was just like, I doubt it. No, thank you, when we get to that scene. Um, but yeah, Pierre the Weaver is the what is brought up by Mercy, and Darlington and Dawes are like, that's kind of brilliant, actually. Um, and the Weaver has to spin the right emotional web. Um, so let's see, I'm just trying to make sure that we're dealing with all of the like details. There's a moment where Turner is talking about what he's going to do with, uh, with the guy who was like accused of murder. And even though he's guilty, it's by reason of insanity. And like, that's a genuine thing that's going on. Um, and let's see. Alex waited until Mercy was snoring, then slipped out of bed and padded upstairs to the third floor. And this is when she goes and sees Darlington. And they talk a little bit here about this plan and the fact that it's a bad idea. Um, and she says, why did I light up like a blowtorch when you use those horns? There are no words for what we've done. And he says that he is bound and she says to what's his face, the other demon and to Golgorod, here it is. I'm bound to you, Stern, to the woman who brought me out of hell. I will serve you till the end of days, which is what he had said in that dream. Um, and then we go to his perspective right after he says that. And <laughs> I love this. Um, her face went very still. Fight or flight. A survivor's move was sometimes no move at all. She raised a brow. So are you going to do my laundry? Right. Flight, flight or sarcasm. 
what a horrid girl you are, ma'am. What a horrid girl you are, ma'am. Now he laughed. And she's like, I, I don't get any of this. And everything is adding up in a direction that I don't understand and that I don't like. Um, and there's this like sort of he's he's sort of self-evaluating here i do like that he's reading michelle alamadine's journal and he is described as eager like four or five times and he is feeling very self-conscious about that but not enough to actually like change himself it's more like he's he, he has to admit that's real you know and just sort of accept it and be reasonable about that um Darlington had been surprised by the way the others had come together to work and plan. He almost hadn't recognized the command in Alex, the confidence in Dawes, all of it born of his absence. They would have gone on without me. They would have grown stronger. Sitting there, watching them hatch their schemes with Turner and Mercy, he'd felt like a stranger in a place he'd once known he belonged. He understood his understanding of his own lack of consequence had been both slow and sudden in its cruelty. I think it would be wise for you and anyone else near me to keep a ready supply of salt at hand. We might consider putting prohibitions on Black Elm, too, or wherever I wash up so that I can't leave without escort. How reasonable he sounded. It wasn't so hard to play act the man he'd been. And he thinks about this a lot, like the, the struggle that it is for him to behave as if he is still himself. And at one point, like, I'm just going to pretend to be human until it's real. Fake it till you make it. Um, and even him, like, eating dinner with them, he's thinking about how he had wanted to just, like, bury his face in the bowl of soup and lap it directly out of the bowl and then he wanted to, like, put his face between Alex's legs and do the same to her. And I was like, oh, a word. And it's so frustrating because I know Alex is also feeling this way about him. She is just, like, drawn to him, you know. And she had been before. But there is a sense of it having gotten more intense since he came back. Or at least she's more aware of it because it's more dangerous than it was before. Um, and this is uh, this moment. Oh, God. Um, what if I told you some part of me still hungers after suffering? I'd tell you to keep your shit together, Darlington. We all want things we shouldn't. You need to accept that hell is going to try to keep one of us. It will be me, Stern. I was never meant to leave. So, after we fought and bled to drag you out of hell, you think we're going to just bring you back like a foster dog who shit on the carpet? Fuck off, Darlington. And I know, you know your problem? A predilection for the first editions, uh, for first editions and women who like to lecture me about myself? An unhealthy respect for the rules. Get some sleep. She vanished down the dark hall there and gone like some kind of magic trick. So then we go to 41 and she is sort of like thinks about him saying that he has a predilection and it's obvious that she's like 
how much does he mean that he's into me? And I'm like, he means it a lot, but like, he is sort of enslaved to you now. So I'm not really sure the ethics of pursuing this. Like, it feels like this is as unequal a power dynamic as it gets. I don't know. Um, and it's also occurring to me, like, spoilers for Rule of Wolves, but this is another, like, Zoya and Nikolai have a lot of parallels to these two. And there is something here with, like, Lee Bardugo being preoccupied with boys that have, like, a streak of something that they can't quite control in them. And the women who have even more power than that, who are by their side. Um, so let's see. Uh, oh, right. The Preter shows up. Okay. So this is my theory. I'm sort of worried that this was not the Preter, that this was a demon that had already consumed trip and then consumed the Preter. Now, I don't know why it would go after the Preter, except that it has gone after two professors. Well, I guess it didn't. Darlington did. Um, Darlington's demon. But I just, there was something about this that felt really off. And now that we know the demons can like kind of wear anybody's face, if they killed them or if they're just dead, I guess. I don't know this whole thing, but they have to pretend when Darlington walks in, that they're seeing him for the first time and that they didn't already know that he was back. And the whole thing is just so like weird and awkward. And the Preter seems to know something isn't quite right here, but they're like convincing enough. And he is willing enough to dismiss Alex's like emotional state as just being a woman that they seem to get away with it, but it's a really tricky thing um and there's a moment where he says something about how uh he had been like unable to get in touch with um Anselm and she says something about how like they must have been lucky uh let's see here it is um I suppose the board must see a purpose he has been quite unreachable has he I guess we got lucky very, said the preter. He tucked his cap onto his head. Lethe sees me as a nuisance and a pe pe I never know how to say this. Pedant? Pedant? I think it's pedant. It has ever been so, but I hold the ninth house to a higher standard than those who make the, a pretense of governing it. I believe in the institution that Lethe might be, that it should be. We are the shepherds. There are places we were never meant to trespass, no matter what we may have, no matter that we may have the means. Be careful out there, Miss Stern. And she's sort of like, does he actually see what happened here in its entirety? Like, this is part of what made me go, was that the demon? I don't know. I, I kind of hope I'm wrong about that. Because it feels like we've done this before, so maybe going back to this well is a little bit tired. I don't know. Um, so she calls her mom, tells her that she's going to come home for Thanksgiving. And later on, she calls Eitan. 
And she tells him that she is working for Linus now. And you can't stop him and you don't have a weapon in your arsenal that can. I'm going to tell him every last thing about your organization and your associates. Your mother, Mira, is under his protection. Or she could be. I'm in New York. Come see me. We talk. We make a new deal. Alex had no doubt she would not return from that meeting. No hard feelings, Eitan. And she hangs up on him. And I'm genuinely not sure what the plan is here. Because if he's in New York, she's just, I guess, banking on the fact that he's not going to be able to hurt her mom. But he could do it with a phone call. I have no doubt he could do it without actually being there. Why is she kind of goading him like this when her mother isn't actually safe yet? I don't really get what she's trying to do. Um, so they set up their whole new fucking gauntlet thing. And <laughs> this is the part where we've got the spiders and they use that to make the trap. Um, I, this whole thing is just so creepy. They have to let the spiders bite them, which apparently doesn't hurt, but she can see her hands like swelling, um, in response to the bites. Uh, high above them, the spiders had begun to weave, seemingly in rhythm with the metronome. It was like watching mist form, a soft, soundless blur spreading from the gutters and corners atop the roof, until they stood beneath a wide canopy of spider silk, the web like spangled frost, turning the night sky into a kind of mosaic. Alex could feel sadness radiating from it, as if the strands were weighted with it, making the web bow at the center. A sense of hopelessness filled her. Just ride it out, said Turner, but he had his hands pressed to the sides of his head as if he could squeeze the misery out of it. And they hear glass breaking, and apparently there are these like really historical, gorgeous stained glass windows, and they're just like the demons are breaking them to just be assholes, which sounds right. So they grab the edge of the fountain and she is prepping to like get grabbed by hands the way she did last time. And instead she winds up in a sea of blood. And I knew when she was like, it was warm and it smelled metallic. I was like, bitch, this is blood. This is clearly blood. And indeed it is when she gets out, she's so grossed out because she doesn't know how much of it got in her mouth. Um, when she looked down, the blood was gone and her clothes were dry. She turned back to look at the horizon and the sea was gone too. She was standing on the sidewalk outside of her old apartment building. And this is a memory. This is really rough, you guys. I'm getting emotional about this. We get a little bit of detail about like what it's like to borrow the car and grocery shop and like just what a simple thing it is. And yet he, Len still runs everything and sometimes doesn't want her to take the car just to be an asshole. And she has wanted Helly to come with her, but Helly is like in a weird mood that day. So she goes without her and she's thinking about how she knows 
this horrible life is just a blip and how like one day she'll wake up and Helly will be gone. And even though it will be heartbreaking to lose her, she wants that for her. And she comes into the apartment and she sees this mass of white fur and blood by the back door. And she realizes what it is. And it is a bunny that she had taken home despite knowing it wasn't really a good idea because it made her so happy. And she names it Babbit Rabbit. And at one point, Betcha says that it looks like bait. What happened? No one seemed to hear her. Helly? Helly turned her head slowly, as if the effort cost her something. She lifted her golden shoulders. Even now, slack and dead-eyed, her voice flat, she said, we wanted to see if he and Loki would play. And he has basically been ripped open and eaten. Don't be shitty about it, Len said. It was an accident. Betcha looked guilty and said, we didn't think Loki would get so excited. He's a dog, Alex said. What the fuck did you think he was going to do? He couldn't help it. I know, said Alex. I know he couldn't. She didn't blame Loki. Oh, come on, said Len. Rabbits are basically vermin. You're crying over a rat. But Alex wasn't crying. Not yet. She didn't want to cry here. She took Len's keys off the counter without asking. She could pay that tab later. So she goes out to bury the rabbit. And it's... Alex couldn't name what she felt. She only knew she never should have brought Babbit Rabbit home. When Helly pointed him out in the cages, she never should have picked him up, never should have held his small body against her heart. He should have belonged to some kid who lived in Encino, who would have given him a real name and brought him to class for show and tell, who would have kept him safe. Alex had stolen from her mother. She'd lied and cheated and broken a lot of laws. But she knew that bringing Babbit Rabbit home was the worst, most selfish thing she'd ever done. Nothing good belonged with her. Oh boy, I got something in my eye. This is so rough, you guys. Because, like, there's so much about this that is so horrible. It's the fact that these guys did this. It's the fact that Helly let them. It's the fact that they left the body and were playing video games and just left it there and did nothing. And it's the fact that Alex knew that something like this was likely to happen. And that selfishness. And, and I want to tell her it isn't selfish to want something that makes you happy. But it is when it's a living thing. And, um, you know, for those who are, who are listening to this and aren't familiar with my situation, I live next door to some people 
who are extremely irresponsible pet owners. My entire neighborhood, honestly, has a lot of really trashy folks who do not keep their animals on leashes or behind gates. And so there are strays, not even strays, dogs that have homes, but that are loose running around a lot. But, um, back in November, I opened my back door and in my carport were three almost starved puppies. And I saw a neighbor in the yard that was like butted up to mine looking around like he had lost something. And I went and spoke to him and it turned out that he had nine male puppies and they were all like completely uncared for. They had never been given shots. They were barely being fed. And it became clear that they had no intention of caring for these animals. They had a female husky that they, that escaped their home every single day, every single day. And they never put a collar on her. They never like put a, a, a rope on her to keep her in the yard. Nothing. And every day they acted like it was a big surprise that she got out. And eventually she never came back. Shocker of shockers. And she was this gorgeous Siberian Husky. And I have no doubt that somebody saw her out and about with no collar for like the fifth time that week. And they finally just decided to take her. And I say good because she didn't have any reason to be in that house. But they never got her spayed. They intended to breed her and sell the puppies. I have zero doubt. But they were not responsible. She got knocked up by a pit bull, had nine male puppies, and they basically told us that if we didn't take them, that they were going to be dumped somewhere. I won't get into how that whole conversation came to be, but trust me when I say I was so disgusted. We offered to take these nine puppies and were preparing to bring them over. And these people like came over while we're in the middle of getting our yard ready to like low-key blackmail us into a thing we had already agreed to. And by the time we took them, one of them had already died. And it turned out they were all sick with Parvo, which uh, if you're not familiar, because I wasn't, is a really, really vicious virus that is extremely hard to kill. It will stay alive in bleach for 10 full minutes. It will stay alive in the dirt for over a year. And out of those nine puppies, only four survived. And it was some of the worst, just some of the worst days I've ever gone through caring for them and watching them die and it was it made me so angry because they didn't have to go through this and they didn't even have to be born but these people were so deeply irresponsible and uncaring and I managed to get homes for two of them one we were keeping and the other we still haven't found a home for and we may wind up keeping him in the end but I recently had been walking past their house and they got another fucking puppy. And when I tell you, I nearly walked up to them and grabbed that puppy and walked away with it. 
there are some people that should not have pets and their reasons for getting pets are based purely in their own selfish desire to have a companion, but they have no intention of actually doing what needs to be done to care for the animal. Now, obviously Alex's point, like she was willing to do what she needed, but she knew that she was in a house with people who could give a fuck. And that when she left, it was possible that they would do something. And I know that she didn't want to think that. And I'm sure that she expected Heli would be some measure of protection against this happening. But on some level, she knew. And I blame her less than I blame her friends. But I can't help but agree to a point that it was a really selfish thing. And I, I feel for her because when your life is that unhappy, a, a pure, the pure like love and companionship an animal brings is one of the few things that can like alleviate the strain and horror. And I even understand that with my neighbors wanting a companion, but that you have got to be honest with yourself about what you're willing to put in to caring for an animal. And a puppy is so difficult. I, I tell you guys right now, dealing with these puppies has been the hardest thing I've ever done. And th th my neighbors, even if they had gotten a fully grown dog, I would still think they shouldn't have a pet. But at least that's an animal that like it has all of its its training under control already hopefully the fact that they decided to get another puppy after having these that they didn't get vaccinated that they let die that they were going to dump somewhere and it's a designer dog i i think it's a catahoula it's a dog that they clearly paid money for and that it just makes me fucking sick. It truly does. And I will never be able to like speak to them again. I texted her because I was like, if they didn't get this dog vaccinated, there's parvo all over their yard. And it, like I said, stays alive forever. So I texted her and was like, just an FYI. I don't know if you know, because I didn't, but there's a real danger. And this woman, instead of being like, I understand that. And we got him vaccinated, started to try and say like, oh, they didn't have Parvo until they started going into other yards as if to say it's our fault. Like they went into your yard and probably got it from who the fuck cares where they got it from. They got it period. Even if they did get it from my yard. So I didn't bring puppies into my yard on purpose you were the one who was letting them wander all over the fucking neighborhood. It was just such a weird response with her, like trying to shift blame and be like, uh, divorce her own complete irresponsibility from the, the equation. Anyway, I just, you guys, the levels of rage that I feel when I think about that family and the fact that they have dogs again, I, 
just was I, I feel so bad for Alex here because she is right that she shouldn't have taken in this this pet but I also really understand why she did and I'm so it's like an extra kick in the face that Helly was there and la- allowed this to happen there is something about the fact that Alex clearly views Helly as somebody really important in her life who was like the one bright spot and that Helly didn't consistently have her back. It's like this and the fact that Helly ditched her at the movies and then like went to the party by herself. Helly, the more I like learn about what it was like with her, the more I understand that Alex didn't have a healthy friendship with her. And granted, it, of course it wasn't healthy the way it was based on. But the the friendship that Alex had with her was... The power dynamic was way off because Helly clearly saw herself as like better than Alex. And was distance from everything in a way that I feel suggests that she didn't care about Alex the way that Alex cared about Helly. And also I can't help but think that there is an aspect of Alex that saw how Helly had a more of a safety net and had more of a normal life that she came from. And that was sort of aspirational for her. And so Alex, there was a sense of like envy maybe and wanting to emulate this girl in order to attempt to like create that for herself and hoping that including this stable person in her life might bring some stability, even though the very fact that Helly is here shows that she is not somebody that you should be emulating. I just, there's just some, the, the betrayal of the fact that Helly was involved really broke my heart more than anything and the fact that she's like clearly stoned in this scene and doesn't seem to understand or care how upset Alex is it just shocked me it really shocked me I didn't think that Helly was this callous and granted when you're on drugs it fucks with your perception of things and your judgment on things So maybe when she sobered up, she realized, but I am going to go ahead and guess, and this is just a guess, but people who do drugs a lot and who consistently find themselves sobering up and realizing that they did something fucked up, they, after two or three times of that, start to not not cope with or acknowledge what they did while they were stoned they just start taking it for granted that you know they were stoned and they have so much shame around the way they behaved that they start to tell themselves well they know what was going on they understand and so I don't have to apologize or acknowledge it or explain when really they just don't want to face it so I'm going to go ahead and and say Helly never actually acknowledges this, never really takes responsibility or apologizes. I really hope I'm wrong about that. But even if she did, I don't know that we're going to get to see it. Like, I'm not sure how much of that memory 
you know, beyond what we saw we're going to get. But this is, uh, she buried Babbit Rabbit in the pretty landscaped yard beside the gate that belonged to some private school. She shook him out of his plastic bag so that his body could decompose and feed the roots of the Eugenia hedges. Alex thought about lying down in the middle of Mulholland right across the white dashes that split the road like a spine. She thought about some mother driving home with her kids in the back of the car, what she would see in the headlights in the moment before impact. How long did she remain there? At some point the sun began to rise. Oh, God. This is, is so rough. So... They start to see an idealized version of New Haven. Things like sort of begin to morph in front of her eyes. And let's see. Are we in heaven? Dawes whispered. No heaven I know about. Don't forget, demons feed on joy right alongside pain and sorrow. The doors to the palace opened and a creature emerged. It had to be eight feet tall, and it had the head of a white rabbit, but the body of a man. Anselm, call me by my true name, Wheelwalker. Asshole? And they have a little bit of a back and forth. He brings out the weird demons on leashes that look vaguely like Carmichael, Blake, and Helly, but not quite right. And, uh... He says, Daniel Arlington's soul was rightfully claimed by this place. He is one of us and must serve his eternity here. I'm willing, said Darlington. For fuck's sake, at least try to negotiate, said Turner. And that honestly, after that horrific scene, I did laugh out loud at that. He is so irritated. Um, And this bit where he says... They're all riddled with guilt and shame, but not you, Wheelwalker. Your only regret is for the girl you couldn't save, not for the men you murdered. You have more remorse in your heart for a dead rabbit than for all those boys you beat into nothing. And Alex is just like, yep. Like, she's not even, It's she's not even like, ashamed of it exactly she just knows in a distant sort of way that that's not normal but she's not apologizing for it and i am so happy about that i love that about her um and dawes says you can't have it you can't have darlington you can't have her no one is staying and then anselm says the gauntlet was built to bring her here you fought to keep me out of hell. I didn't understand what you were, Wheelwalker. He's lying, said Dawes. Turner shook his head. He could always tell the difference, even in the underworld. He isn't. You know you aren't the first pilgrims to walk this path. They made a deal, didn't they? Anselm winked. The only thing a demon loves more than a puzzle is a bargain. And that is the way the chapter ends, and I am fucking dying. I have no idea what, like, they they did something to lure a wheel walker into hell as a, as a price 
for themselves getting out of it? Is, is that like, and how did that even work? Because she gets brought to Yale, but it doesn't feel like they knew she was a wheel walker or what that meant. So I like, it doesn't feel in other words, like the trap was part of her getting invited to Lethe in the first place. It feels like it was a coincidence that she happened to be part of this. It's too bad that Bellbomb isn't still alive and she could just sacrifice Bellbomb for shove her into hell. There goes somebody who deserved to be in hell. Oh, well. So, yeah, I am dying. I And uh, what? I don't know what to think. I really don't. Um, and the next episode is the last coverage of the chapter or last coverage of the book. And uh, I have I think that Joanna told me she overbooked by accident. So there's one additional episode and I'm sort of wondering whether or not I should just like have a, a separate wrap up episode or if that's excessive. I don't know. Like, I, I don't know whether or not I have enough to say on a separate episode. So I'll kind of play it by ear. Um, but Joanna, you can also like, tell me what you would like if you have thought of something else by now, or I could put it towards another thing I'm covering perhaps. But anyway, I'm really, really interested, but also disgusted because of course she is paying the price of some dudes from ages ago. Fucking of course. Like what else is fucking new? She's been paying other people's fines for way too long. Enough is enough. Figure something out, Alex. Get out of this. Get out of this girl. All right. Thank you guys so much for hanging out with me. Thank you very much, Joanna, for commissioning this. And until next time, toodaloo, motherfuckers. Spoiled Network Podcast.